CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. It's time for another Political Rewind. Glad to have all of you with us. I'm Bill Nygut as we start another week under the uh, unprecedented situation that all of us find ourselves in right now, dealing with coronavirus. Uh, I continue to uh, host the show out of uh, my home studio at our house in Greater Decatur. It's getting kind of comfortable doing it here, to tell you the truth. And all of our panelists are uh, scattered in their own uh, I think everybody's in their own home right now. And so, uh, as we said before, we're doing this by phone line. And you know, we think the audio has been pretty good, but you'll notice there is a slight difference between uh, being having them in the studio and having them on the phone. Let me introduce the panel, and then let's talk about some of the top stories in coronavirus news in Georgia. Uh, Jim Galloway, of course, uh, is my partner on Mondays and Fridays. Jim is the lead political writer for the AJC. You know that. You read him in the Wednesday and Sunday paper. And uh, he also is overseeing the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Jim, you were just about to hit the button to publish today's jolt, right? Haven't quite done it yet. It's But Not it's yet. coming. Okay. It, well, it's when coming. You do, it, it will focus on uh, Ms. Kelly Leffler's problems. Well, we're going to talk about that a little later in the show. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, Andy Miller is with us. He's the editor and founder of Georgia Health News, and uh, we always like having Andy on the show. And Andy, right now, uh, it's particularly important to be talking with you. How, how busy are you at Georgia Health News right now? Well, probably as busy as I've ever been. In fact, definitely. Uh, but uh, it's a story, obviously, that people like myself have to cover and cover hard. Yeah. And we're also joined today by uh, Karen Owen. Karen, is uh, you've heard her on the show at any number of occasions, a professor of political science at West Georgia University. Karen, I assume you're at home. I guess the one thing, you live a fairly long drive from West Georgia University, so this might be sort of a nice little respite for you, yes? Yes, it has been a little bit nice. Last week was really technically our spring break, um, so I wouldn't have been driving anyway, but it is giving me a chance to be more at home since I do have about an hour and 45-minute commute over to the campus. Wait. do you Are you all teaching uh, uh, by remote these days? Are you doing any kind of uh, work with your class right now, or has the university decided just to call a, a suspension of, uh, of academic activities? The university system uh, suspended instruction until March 30th, and then starting on March 30th, we will move to all online instruction. So we'll finish our semester with online education. Okay. Um, all right. Let me, let's start by uh, looking at some of the numbers, and then we'll get the group involved. First of all, I think a headline we need to start with, <coughs> excuse me, is um, U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams uh, was on the news this morning. Uh, here's the most important quote from what he had to say, quote, this week it's going to get bad, talking about coronavirus around the United States, of course. Here in Georgia, we, as of 7 o'clock last night, this, um, state officials were reporting 620 f- confirmed cases, 24 deaths. Uh, Fulton had uh, the most, more than 100. Cobb, 
Bartow, DeCab, Doherty, Gwinnett, Cherokee, Lee, Carroll, Clayton, Richmond, uh, and Clark. But, you know, it's interesting, um, Grant Blankenship uh, of GPB and Macon sent us an interesting note this morning. He, he said that while Fulton County leads the state in raw numbers of infections, the infection rate was six times bigger in Doherty County, where they had 60 infections per 100,000 people as opposed to just under 10 in uh, Fulton. And while we let's stop there for just a moment, um, Andy Miller, uh, the CDC over the weekend announced it is sending a team of experts down to Doherty County uh, because they have had an unusual cluster of positive readings down there, right? They have, and it started uh, with a couple of funerals that were held recently down there. And uh, one particular person uh, evidently led to the infection of, uh, of quite a few people, as, as you know. What, they're, what we're talking about is there's been eight deaths in Doherty County, six of them at the hospital. The, the hospital, Phoebe Putney, has more than 30 patients in the hospital confirmed COVID cases with another 70 suspected of having it and just awaiting test results. They've had staff members go out with symptoms and be sidelined, and uh, they've been desperate for personal protective equipment, just like many hospitals. And uh, in fact, the state uh, recently, over the weekend, sent a helicopter down with some supplies from the national stockpile. So it is the hottest of the hot spots here in Georgia. Uh, uh, Bill, if I could um, inter- jump in here, yeah, it's it's sure. so it's it's so hot that Phoebe Putney has posted online uh, uh, patterns for surgical masks that it's that it's lacking. Uh, it just so locals can can make make those masks now. Now, how effective uh, they are at, at protecting uh, uh, healthcare workers, I'll let Andy I- explain. But I just I just think that's that kind of points to this this massive. A logistical problem that that countries uh, that that hospitals across the country are facing. Yeah, those. Yeah, masks we're going to. I want to talk about. I'm sorry. Those masks are are, are used to cover uh, N95 respirator masks, so that the the latter, which are very important, can be used for a longer period of time. It shows the community support for the workers there at Phoebe Putney. So um, let me continue, if I can, just reading a few more of the figures that we're reporting right now. We had the first confirmed case yesterday in an Atlanta police officer who worked at the police headquarters. We had, I think we have three confirmed cases now at Lee State Prison in Leesburg. Um, And we have uh, at least three confirmed cases of coronavirus in the state Senate. We know that um, three since Brandon Beach uh, who started the ball rolling uh, there. We have Kay Kirkpatrick, Bruce Thompson, and uh, State Party Chair Nakima Williams, State Democratic Party Chair Nakima Williams, have uh, all said they have the virus. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, to me. Karen, I'm curious. I don't know whether you've come into contact or you now know people who are positive for coronavirus. Uh, Kay Kirkpatrick was in our studio doing Political Rewind on Tuesday, March 10th. That's already just about two weeks ago. Uh, but what was interesting to me, and it's I'm dealing with this, and so are the other panelists on that show, everybody else seems to be fine. But for the first time, suddenly, this comes home in an entirely different way, Karen, when you say, hmm, 
I was in contact with someone who subsequently tested positive for the virus. And there's no question, Karen, we're all going to experience that at some point if we haven't already. Yes, and I'm in the same boat. I know people who have the symptoms. Now, whether they can get a test or their doctor has told them because of the age range and their medical history that they should not, you know, take a test and leave it for others right now, that has been the situation. But you're right. I mean, I have sat at home over the last 48 hours thinking about, okay, where was I the week of March 9th? Who was I in contact with? Where did I go? And were there individuals now that I'm hearing about or friends that were also with people who may have contracted this and have it? So it is, I think for all of us, we are following guidelines. We're listening to the news, but we're also starting to think about those who are affected. I mean, my mother recently had surgery about a month ago, and she's been isolated at home, you know, doing some physical therapy, but concerned about her. You know, when she's gone to physical therapy, was she actually around someone who might have been, again, around someone else? It's um, and we obviously our hearts go out to, and we're we're thinking only the best thoughts for quick recoveries for the people that we now in our own circles know have tested positive for coronavirus. So we're we're thinking about them uh, this week. Uh, Jim, <clears throat> let, let's go back to uh, what what Andy described as the real hot spot, Albany, Georgia. The mayor of Albany over the weekend. Uh, uh, approved a plan to uh, put strict limitations on public involvement, you know, on people getting together in public, essentially starting to kind of shut the city down. Why don't we do this? Uh, Let's listen to uh, what Mayor Duro uh, said when uh, the city and he and the city council imposed these restrictions. Um, I don't think folks are taking this threat as seriously as we should. The coroner has got on this podium and he has explained people are dying. The medical professionals have told us that this is a highly contagious virus. We can't wait until we are infected to stop the spread. And Jim, uh, Albany, not the only municipality, Sandy Springs, Rusty Paul, our friend Rusty Paul up there who is on this show frequently, also imposed uh, significant restrictions. It's starting to happen in communities around the state, independent of what the state does, Jim. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I'm looking at at, at one tracking uh, document that's 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 uh, that I think is 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 put out by Seth Clark. He's a Democrat down in in, in Macon, uh, that shows uh, about a hundred municipalities uh, have independently issued some sort of. Uh, some sort of restriction on on movement, on travel, on 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 congregations of 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 say ten people or more, and and th- this is interesting. It's you know it's it's uh, we're seeing a when the federal government act, you see governors act. When governors don't act, you see local communities act. So it's it's really interesting who is taking the initiative here. Yes, and that's a great time to to take that next step and talk about what the governor is doing. The governor, uh, we, we, are, we, we can now announce, uh, we've just learned, is going to hold a news conference at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Of course, he's been holding news conferences regularly uh, since this all began. And uh, who knows if, in fact, he's decided now is the time to take more stringent action. But Andy Miller 
Carlos Del Rio, Dr. Del Rio from uh, Emory University, Rollins School of Health, uh, sent a tweet, directed it at Kemp over the weekend, and here's the, what he said. We need Governor Kemp to act now. The point of no return for Georgia is rapidly closing. To prevent a catastrophe in the healthcare system due to COVID-19, we need for him to shut down Georgia now. Uh, and he sent along with that tweet a link to uh, a COVID-19 tracker that looks at all every state in the uh, in the country in terms of the curve, uh, the spikes in virus that we might have if uh, there aren't more stringent. Uh, restrictions taking place, and it's 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 scary to look at. We're going to send out a link to that on our social media uh, so people can see it. Andy, your response to all this? Well, Dr. Del Rio is probably the leading infectious disease expert in the state and one of the leading ones in the country. And what he's looking at is is the impact on healthcare system writ large on hospitals, uh, the fact that, that right now healthcare workers are under siege in many areas of the state in terms of dealing with uh, COVID-19 patients, and we're only going to see more spread and more cases. And I, I can't talk about the data and the data behind it. I can only say that I think that there is a debate probably at the state level in the governor's office between the the public health and healthcare community and these uh, municipalities that you talk about on the one side wanting to shut the state down versus uh, business and corporate leaders and some Republicans on the other side. And um, I think Governor Kemp is, is, you know, as this week unfolds, he's going, he's going to really feel pressure to do something major in terms of restrictions across the state. So let me just um, give you some uh, information based on the chart that, as I said, we'll, we'll send a, a link out to. It's COVID Act. If you, if you don't get our link, it's, at, it's covidactnow.org. Uh, and it looks at the next month or so ahead. And uh, it, what the chart tells us is that there is no action uh, between March 24th and March 29th, which is which we're in the middle, you know, getting to right now, we'll be there uh, tomorrow. If we have no significant action to prevent hospital overload, by April 24th, we will have in Georgia 229, 234,000 hospitalizations expected by April 24th. If we have three months of social distancing, uh, the chart tells us that there will be 92,658 hospitalizations. So we get into that softer curve, and it suggests that um, things will get better rather quickly. If we have three months, this is social distancing, based on social distancing. If we have three months of sheltering in place, uh, the curve is it's insignificant. Sheltering in place reduces the number of hospital projected hospitalizations to to very very small number. Does that make sense to you, Andy? And then I'll uh, throw it out to everybody else. Well, it does. And uh, you look at some states like New York and California with really tough stay-at-home restrictions. And I think a turning point may have been Mike DeWine in Ohio, who's a Republican governor. Uh, 
issuing a similar order there for Ohio. So, uh, yeah, the numbers make sense just because we're already dealing with shortages of doctors and nurses. I noticed that 10% of the infections in Spain are of healthcare workers. So if you can imagine taking 10% of our healthcare workforce, which is already strained out of the equation in terms of treating people, and we're dealing with supply problems, and we're dealing with bed capacity already, uh, I can see uh, really some nightmarish scenarios happening. Hopefully not, but it, it's definitely possible. Uh, Karen, you know, one of the things that we deal with here is this balance between what a country like China is capable of doing, given the societal structure, the government of China, in its in its uh, uh, ability to literally shut everything down to, to because of the regimented society the Chinese live in, and and being American, and and this fight that we have against having our movements restricted, in believing in freedom. And, um, and it becomes a tricky balancing act. Uh, at, at a certain point, though, some of the governors in the country have decided that for the health and safety and well-being of, its, of citizens, you've got to take away some of those freedoms. But there's no question there, there is an issue there, isn't there, Karen? Oh, yes. And I think, you know, part of the core of American values, you know, rest on liberty, freedom, the ability to pursue as your desires, as long as you're not infringing on others. And I think at this point, we also have to recall that we live in a federalist nation. So we have the federal government, we have state governments and local governments all needing to work. Um, We as citizens and people in the U.S. are looking towards sometimes the government closest to us because that's the one that we feel the most that's having an impact on us. And I think here in the state of Georgia, when we're talking about those municipalities, you know, many of them know exactly what they need to put in place because they understand the health structure around them and what it in capacity can handle. And so they're having to take some measures. As far as like the state, I agree with Andy and others who have said that there are, you know, two different sides here. There's the public health and the need to listen to science and what is going to be helpful to slow this curve. Or also you've got the business interests that are concerned, the economic interests of what happens when you lock down and shut down. But if you look at the COVIDactnow.org, if you look at that chart, and as you know, we're thinking about just the social distancing that's in place right now, there are individuals who aren't even taking that very seriously. So on Saturday, as I ran to the grocery store to get a few items to get my family through the next 10 days or so, I realized I was watching people running down our streets, and they were not six feet apart. They were running in small groups of two or three, but they were close. And, you know, you think you know the people around you, but you don't actually know, too, where they all have been or who they've been exposed to. So I think the social distancing right now, we've put that in place. But you're right, as the next days come on, we may have to think more seriously about isolating, sheltering at home, and taking care so we can allow the hospitals and our other public health agencies to see where they are at and what they can handle. Jim, weigh in, in on this, please. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's you can frame this in you know in 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 individual terms of individual rights versus collective rights, but I think there's a there's a really more practical uh, thing that that the governor has to decide when when you when you call for the entire state to shut down. And and that is 
what replaces it economically what replaces it and you have to want georgia has look look at look at our our, our reluctance to expand medicare uh, medicaid we don't have a uh, we don't have a a generous system when it comes to unemployment benefits when it comes to workers comp when it when it comes to all sorts of things we don't have we're if if we order if if kemp orders the state shut down it's going to require a, a whole new set of, of 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 thinking, especially among Republicans, about go- government's role in our lives. And Andy, uh, isn't is that worth it at this moment? Well, the economic impact is going to be tremendous. There's no question about that. I, I think it, it, I, the main thing that public health people will emphasize is we take strong action now. Are we will see less deaths, less cases, and that the economy can rebound faster than if we don't take strong action now. So I want to read from a Washington Post editorial uh, that I think was published on Saturday, just that that relates to what the ex- very subject we're talking about. I'm just going to read a, a, a short part of that. Um, and it responds essentially to the fact that the governors of New York and California, uh, uh, Cuomo and Newsom, have called for very restrictive social distancing uh, and, and shutting down big parts of the state. But, but here's what, what the Post said. From a public health standpoint, the disruption caused by social distancing is worth it. The sacrifices are temporary and, for less, and far less painful than thousands of deaths, overrun hospitals, and a runaway virus. But this is every bit as much about human behavior as about public health. It's absolutely essential in the months ahead that political leaders retain people's trust. Not an easy task, even in normal times. If the restrictions are draconian, they could boomerang. People may panic or be tempted to disobey. That would, in turn, threaten further spread of the virus. Political leaders must allow a society to breathe not only fresh air in parks and playgrounds, but also to go about life as normally as possible to have access to groceries, banks, pharmacies, and other essential services. It's important that leaders retain credibility so that the next time they ask for emergency action, they are heeded. And Karen, what I think is really interesting about that is here's the what most people would consider to be the very liberal Washington Post that might typically uh, argue for the tightest restrictions possible at this point. Um, and, and yet they're suggesting here that we'd better be careful be, because we already have a big, as you know, there's an awful lot of people out there who think this whole threat is being dramatically overblown uh, by media. And so, I mean, I think the Post addresses that in that editorial in a way. I think you're correct in saying that right now people aren't sure if this is overblown. I've heard instances of people talking about how this is all political. It's not public health. It is just political. You have young people I know who get their information from different sources, sometimes not trusting the media at all. So it is a time where, as the Post mentioned, it's critical for our public officials to talk the science, to report facts, to be very honest with the people about what they think is needed. 
and to relay that so that we have that credible information, but also recognize that people need to have a moment to get out of their homes, that they need to go to the grocery store, they don't need to be in a panic when they walk into the store, that it's okay to get the few items you need now because you can go back in four or five days to get a few more items. It's that ability to share and calm people, but let them know the situation is intense and severe and we need to be smart in our actions. So, Jim, we have a 5 o'clock news conference today. I think many people in waiting for the news conferences in the past week, especially I thought the one, was it Friday that the governor held a news conference? I think we're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop there. I know this is sheer speculation, but what's your sense of how the pressure is building on Kemp to be willing to take more statewide action rather than continuing to allow cities around the state to do their own thing? Well, you have to wonder whether, whether you know, if, if you've got 100 communities who have already uh, laid down some sort of uh, restrictions on movement, that that, that, that in essence is, is building the support, making the case for Kemp. To, to, to go the rest of the way with it. I can't think of a major city uh, in, in Georgia now that, that has not ordered uh, uh, all bars closed, all restaurants kind of restricted to takeout mm-hmm. dining. So it's, it's – plus uh, the, the, only, the other thing is, is – and, and Andy may be a, a better judge of this – what is there left for Kemp to do uh, uh, as, far as, as, as far as tightening uh, the, 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 the movement of Georgians? Good question, Andy. Well, you know, shutting down uh, non-essential businesses like a nail salon or a barber shop or maybe even a movie theater uh, would uh, lower the chances of transmission. And anything like that, experts say, would be uh, a help in terms of reducing the uh, this increase of cases that we're going to see. And, and the Surgeon General, I think, was absolutely right. This is going to be a bad week in terms of numbers of infections and even deaths. So, so let me suggest another uh, uh, possibility of what it means if the governor finally does issue a statewide directive to shut down bars and restaurants, uh, limit how many people should be interacting with one another at a time. Um, the psychological impact of that. Uh, Certainly it's true that uh, if you can't go to your neighborhood uh, bowling alley because you drive up thinking, wouldn't it be fun to be able to have some, you know, entertainment here, and you see that it's shut down, that sends you a message. The same thing if you go to your hair cutter and the hair cutter is closed down. I mean, there are these little things that reinforce that there really is something significant happening out there that we need to pay attention to. It strikes me that when the governor of a state announces that because of the threat of the virus spreading exponentially, we have to shut down restaurants and bars, a delivery service only or pickup service for restaurants, we have to limit uh, uh, physical interaction it does strike me, Karen, that that, in fact, helps impress upon us the role that we as individuals, as citizens, have to play because this really is serious stuff. I just think there's that impact beyond uh, everything else we're talking about. 
I think you're right that it does signal when we go somewhere and we see these things or or closed, shops are closed, that it does have a mental toll on us. And that's where we have to embrace using some technology and taking care of our friends and neighbors by talking to them on the phone, interacting in some way so that we don't become completely isolated and panic over this, but understand the importance of doing the right thing and following guidelines. I also was thinking about, you know, just a moment here about mayors in our state, these municipalities, county commissioners. Some of these individuals who we have elected also are small business owners in their community. So they're actually in a bind as to what to do, too. So they're looking for the governor to sometimes help give them guidance because they themselves are struggling as to do I keep my own business open for my livelihood or do I need to take the public service part first and foremost seriously and help my community first and not think about my own family or the own circumstances I have? I think we have to remember that, too. Each individual, the role that they're having to consider for their own person and their own family. I think that's a great point, um, and I appreciate uh, your making it. Uh, Jim, the governor can give cover to some of these uh, local officials who are uh, somewhat undecided about what to do. But Jim, before yeah, it, we it, take it's, a break, it's, it's, uh, no, it's it's a mutual mutual. It's a it's a mutual support network here. You know, by 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 taking what action they have, uh, local government officials have kind of uh, uh, pointed pointed uh, uh, the governor in, in in the direction that he needs to lead the state in, and and vice and and yes, he does by by. By taking the helm, he does uh, does does give those local government officials uh, kind of uh, validation. All right, um, let's take a break uh, right now. When we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the impact of coronavirus on the state of Georgia. But we have a couple of other important stories to cover today. Uh, one of them is the ongoing coverage of Senator Kelly Leffler and the stock. Uh, sales that were made on her behalf uh, in the aftermath of their getting a briefing in the U.S. Senate uh, about how significant this uh, virus could become. That story has not gone away over the weekend. If anything, it's gotten bigger. And Kelly Leffler was on the cable networks this weekend responding to it. So we'll talk about the coronavirus and Kelly Leffler. But first, let's get a break in. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on Political Rewind, uh, joined by the fo- on the phone by uh, Andy Miller of Georgia Health News, Karen Owen of uh, West, West Georgia University, and my partner Jim Galloway, lead writer for, political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, Jim, uh, uh, Charlie Hazlett, who made his first appearance on Political Rewind just this past week, uh, and was, I was really glad to have him on, thanks to you. He had another column in Trouble in God's Country, his blog about rural Georgia, 
And uh, he, he posted it this weekend, and one of the things that he pointed to was a Washington Post piece by Philip Bump, who is a, uh, a, a journalist who does a lot of deep diving into data to get his stories. And he looked at state by state um, the people who voted, or he looked at the country in, at large. And for, first, it was Charlie who went back and looked at the state. Uh, Bump looked at uh, the fact that about 8.3 million people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 live in counties where there are no ICU beds or hospitals. About 13% of the total votes Trump earned in that election, or about one in every eight votes. And then he looked, and then, and then Charlie went from there and looked at the 2018 gubernatorial election, and he found that, you know, we know that Kemp carried like 130 rural counties, and of, of those, 83 do not have a single ICU bed, and most don't even have a hospital. Uh, it's a startling uh, look at the, um, first of all, just the map in which so many, much of our state is not, doesn't have ICU available for people who may get really sick from the virus. But it's also interesting in that it tells us something about the very people who Trump voted, uh, who voted for Trump, uh, being particularly vulnerable in this crisis, Jim. Right, and I would I would bet uh, that there are a good number of those counties that that uh, don't even have physicians. Uh, Andy can af- after I'm done, Andy can probably speak, uh, maybe toss out some numbers on that. You know, there was I'm drawn back to the the 20, 2018 race for governor, and and the appearances that that uh, that Brian Kemp and uh, Stacey Abrams made before the Georgia Chamber that August, and I can remember asking uh then candidate Kemp uh what his what his uh uh that that what his opinion on Medicaid expansion was and it was it was very interesting there was a very distinct difference between Abrams and Kemp uh Abrams of course was in in, in favor of 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 getting all the health care uh out out to to rural Georgia that you could on the theory that you can't have economic development until you have health care kemp was of the uh, was 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 of the uh, uh, the opposite opinion which which adds has a touch of social darwinism in it and he says you can't until you get economic development you can't have health care and that's that's where we are right now Andy, uh, in fact, Georgia Health News, you posted a piece on the uh, homepage. Uh, the headline is Rural Hospitals, a new crisis on top of the old one. And your lead is Georgia's rural hospitals have faced financial challenges for a long time. Even the recent economic boom was not enough to pull them out of the ditch. Now things may even may get even worse. The COVID-19 pandemic is both a medical crisis and an economic shock. And in Georgia, the state's most vulnerable hospitals could bear a formidable burden. Talk to us about that, Andy. Well, rural hospitals have faced financial challenges for years. We lost several uh, of them uh, recently, and uh, they go through, uh, you know, this revenue cycle that is really awful in terms of making money. And they have high levels of uninsured. They have high levels of Medicaid and Medicare patients, and those programs don't pay hospitals sometimes enough even to cover the medical costs. And then you deal with a 
a largely impoverished uh, population and high levels of elderly. And all of these factors, uh, and the fact that they have trouble attracting physicians and nurses to their facilities to work there and to stay there. So the arithmetic has been really bad, especially the beginning of this year when we were told that there are four hospitals in rural Georgia that had severe cash flow problems. Now you put on top of that COVID-19 and how they have to prepare for that uh, in, in, for their facilities and how they have to, in many of them, uh, reduce or eliminate elective surgery. And that's one of the only profit centers that they have. So, yes, as Jim said, there are many counties that don't have OBGYNs, that don't have pediatricians, and there are a handful that don't even have a doctor. So uh, this is where real trouble could happen, particularly if some of these older populations in these rural counties uh, get this disease. You uh, quote uh, uh, Terry England, uh, the chair of the uh, State House Appropriations Committee in this piece, uh, you, you say that he said to you that rural hospital beds are vital, and the quote is uh, that uh, the $5 million that has been earmarked in the budget for the rural hospitals, he says, will, quote, help make sure they are there. We need to maintain the safety net around the state, uh, especially during the coronavirus crisis. But, Andy, we talked about this briefly on the show the other day. $5 million, good for them, but it's a drop in the bucket. Well, it is. It could, it could though, at least temporarily add a lifeline to, to a few of these facilities that are really on the financial brink. And uh, Terry talked about more money coming in the big budget, which will you know, unfold uh, later this year. But I, I think that the Georgia General Assembly really has, over the last few years, tried to help rural facilities stay open. And, and unfortunately, some of them are, are really down to a few days' cash and have trouble making payroll. And, and, would, and, and coronavirus can only uh, exacerbate that situation. Would, Karen, when I- you think about... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, last week I saw um, a report on uh, the PBS NewsHour that highlighted in Clay County that there was one physician for 3,000 citizens, but on, you know, not just the actual access to the doctor, but she told the um, reporter that you know, some of her patients have to drive 30 to 40 miles to even get to the nearest pharmacy. And so for some patients, it's just being able to access the medicine, too, that can be difficult. You know what? I all right. Let's do this. Let's let's move from at least talking directly about coronavirus uh, to talking, as I said a little while ago, about the Kelly Leffler story. But why don't Tom Faust? Why don't we get our final break of the show out of the way and uh, come back, and we'll turn to the Leffler story, which I just noticed, Galloway. You've published the jolt, and Leffler's your lead item. So we'll talk about that when we return. Karen Owen, Andy Miller, Jim Galloway joining me for Political Rewind today. By the way, uh, the news conference the governor is holding again will be at 5 o'clock this afternoon. You'll be able to listen to it on GPB 
radio. You can also watch it on gpbnews.org. We'll have it up there uh, so that you can uh, pay attention to what the governor says, and we'll find out at that point what his next moves uh, might be in the coronavirus crisis. Uh, All right, Jim, uh, just to recap, late last week, uh, we learned that a couple of senators, several senators really, Richard Burr, Senator Richard Burr, head of the Intelligence Committee, uh, Dianne Feinstein, and uh, Kelly Leffler, all had been part of a briefing in which they were given rather grim news. This was back at the end of January, rather grim news about the potential impact that coronavirus could have on the country, on the economy. And uh, then those three uh, proceeded to sell stocks uh, rather quickly after the uh, uh, report that, that they were given, the briefing that they were given. There's been a lot of uh, concern about that, that they were dealing in essentially uh, confidential information given to them only, and they may, and that there's a ver- it's insider trading, which would be illegal. We don't know that there's anything illegal about what they did. But, but that's the setup for all of this. And, and Jim, you've added, we thought that the Leffler numbers were anywhere between $1.3 and $3 million because that's the range that, that members of Congress have to give in reporting their trades. Uh, but you point out in the Joel today that her husband, Jeff Sprecher, the uh, chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, may have done a lot more trading in that period of time. Right, right. Uh, she uh, Leffler has been been working, uh, trying to to defend herself um, and and tamp down this the the, the situation all weekend. Uh, they uh, uh, yesterday they they sent over a, a, her campaign sent over a spreadsheet of of the transactions that she made that are that are in question uh, January twenty fourth to February fourteen. And and uh, you know, twenty seven were sales transactions, about one point eight million of proceeds, uh, and uh, uh, also eight stock purchases, again valued at one point five million. And then there was something called a put eight put offers, which uh, which uh, which which you can uh, which which lock you into a price. And if you and the idea is you're betting that it that it that the market is going to go down uh they sold those early they said they they uh uh she says they they she forego uh forwent uh, uh about 1.1 million there but it does not include the uh the the SEC filings that show that that uh Jeffrey Sprecker her husband uh who's the CEO of of the company that owns the New York Stock Exchange sold 3.5 million. Hey, uh, Jim, I uh, need to interrupt you. Uh, in, in shares of, of ICE, Jim, that's the ICE, that's the, the company that owns the stock ex- exchange. And then they, they did another one on, on another sale on March 11th, which is after, right after, and, and on March 10th, you know, Leffler was was uh, was was boasting of the strength of the U.S. economy on, on in, in one of her uh, uh, videos that she tweeted out. Here's here's the thing. The, probably the most important uh, interview that she had uh, it was was late Friday at, at Fox News uh, with C- Tucker Carlson. And if if you remember, Tucker Carlson, uh, he really went after Richard Burr uh, uh, last week, uh, at, at asking for an explanation or or a resignation. And and he, what what he said? Uh, first of all, do you have uh, tape? Do, do you have no, no tape of uh, of Carlson? 
Okay. All right. Uh, here's what he, he, he said. He, I, Carlson me, said. Me, he, and he said this I, to Leffler. He said, I, I need to jump in here. And I'm not even and... sure, frankly, whether people can hear okay. us on the air right now. Uh, we just lost uh, audio completely. I don't think Karen Owen, Andy Miller, or now Galloway, too. I'm watching them on uh, no, I can't hear anything. FaceTime chat. We seem to have lost the uh, feed of the show completely. I lost it, Tom and now Faust, I just heard I don't know if you're hearing me at all. I don't know if I'm our listeners are hearing me, but now we've lost the signal entirely. Bit. Can you give me some guidance, Tom? Are you there? I can. Okay. I can I'm picking uh, up. I'm, I, I'm picking up Mr. Nugget now. I yeah, and I really apologize to our listeners. Um, this is the first time we've had any significant issue with. Yeah, I I hear you, Jim. Karen, are you back with us yet? I'm here. Karen and I Andy, I don't. Think. Yeah, I'm, I'm here Good. too. Wonderful. Okay, so let's keep going. And again, I apologize for the problems we've had, but this story is getting more and more traction. Uh, Karen, let me ask you. You're the political science professor among us. Um, Leffler insists of course, that she doesn't handle any of her trades, that it's done by a third party, although she did add some information during one of her Fox interviews over the weekend in which she did say that there's an employee in the family office who does off, uh, act as an intermediary. I, Karen, how, how significant do you think this is going to be for Leffler trying to move forward? I think this is going to play in seriously to the reelection campaign and how she's going to have to defend what she learned, when she learned it, and how she is separate from any of these transactions if she is. You know, she does not want to end up in a situation like Representative Collins where you're getting charged because of insider trading. And she should be very aware of the rules around this, but I think it will become pressed upon her to explain this very thoroughly and to let voters know what she's done, be as transparent as possible. But I think that Doug Collins can use this. He's going to probably use this as well as others in the reelection against her. There may be even more pushes for her to step aside and resign and give the governor a chance to weigh in again on an appointment potentially. I mean, we don't know, but I think it will have an impact greatly. And voters will probably pay attention to this if they can sidetrack out of the COVID-19. You know, they're going to want to look for something else to give their attention to. Hey, Jim, I was what, uh, Karen just said something that uh, really uh, strikes a chord with me. Last week when this story first broke, and I get the partisan atmosphere we're living in in Washington, I was a little bit astonished at how quickly – there were calls for uh, Richard Burr and Kelly Leffler, particularly, to resign from the United States Senate. I mean, this thing, in terms of partisan pushback, escalated like lightning. And 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 I, I will tell you, a lot of this fight is being played out is playing out on Fox News. Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, as I had mentioned, the Tucker Carlson had had, had called for Richard Burr's. Uh, 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 kind of uh, to, to call, called him on the, uh, on the mat, and uh, he he spoke to Leffler uh, on Friday, and saying maybe you shouldn't have been saying that the the economy was 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 in such great shape when you were when 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 you were uh, you, you your your own uh, transactions indicated that it wasn't, uh, but then you know it 
and then you've had, but then you've had, and you've had uh, 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 Jean Perot, is it on 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 Fox? She's she's uh, she's called for Luffler's resignation. Judge Jeannie. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. you know you've I, got this, yeah, well, and, and, go and they're friendly. They're friendly. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Fox is friendly to Doug Collins. That's exactly right, and that's what's so interesting, Andy Miller. That uh, Republicans who usually go to Fox News to find sanctuary and an opportunity to uh, blast their message far and wide with uh, with positive reinforcement from the hosts. Uh, Leffler realized, I hope she realized, that going on Ed Henry's show, uh, among the others, going on Tucker Carlson, uh, she wasn't necessarily walking into friendly territory. Uh, those are the people who have been promoting Doug Collins for the U.S. Senate seat here. That's right, and, and I think the, the appearances here look bad. I mean, maybe there's technical reasons for how the trade happened and things like that, but at a time when People's 401ks, those of us that are lucky to have them, are plunging. This just doesn't look good for Kelly Loeffler. She's also yeah, uh, new to politics, Karen. right? So that's the other piece. You know, her staff and others around her have to be very wise and smart when they put her on any of these news stations and prepare her for what's going on because she has. This, you know, she is new to the, the political game and questioning, and she has to have that right response so that that perception doesn't get ahead of her that this is awful. Also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I read that Richard Byrd has talked about letting the Senate go ahead and do an ethics investigation um, into yes. this. And if that's the case, Leffler probably needs to follow suit and just be open and saying, look, let the Ethics Commission see what's going on. I've done what I, you know thought was appropriate by separating this out and here's what it is that may be in the next step forward you know the, the weird thing the weird thing here bill is is uh yeah richard burr has asked for a a, a a an ethics investigation uh if things had been a little bit different you know who would be a, a chairman of that committee doing the investigating it would have been johnny isaacson johnny isaacson <laughs> That's exactly right. I hadn't even thought about that. Jim, I asked Karen this question, and we're running out of time, but how serious is this for Kelly Leffler? I think, you know, it, I think it will track with the economy. If the, if the economy bounces back, then, then, then it, it, it may not be serious. If we are into a deep recession, then, yeah, yeah, uh, people, people, voters will get resentful if they think somebody has special privileges. Even the appearance of that. All right. We're, well, we will watch that story play out. Um, we're out of time for today's show. Again, I apologize that um, we lost uh, uh, audio from some of you for a few minutes during the show. And as I said, I'm not quite sure what listeners heard. I hope all of you did get a chance to hear Jim Galloway because I saw that he was continuing to explain what was going on with Kelly Leffler. Um, it's just one of the things that we deal with right now. Uh, working under the circumstances we are. Um, that's it for us today. Karen Owen, Andy Miller, Jim Galloway, so great to have you with us. Thank you all for listening. And by the way, you have been sending me such lovely notes about how much Political Rewind means to you during this emergency period we're living in. And you hearten me enormously and make me feel grateful that we do have an opportunity to talk on Political Rewind every day. So thank you very much for all that you've said about the show. 
That's it for us today. I'm Bill Nygut. See you again tomorrow.